Hi, I'm Michael Morris. Thank you for joining us as we journey through the Christian Fundamentals Discipleship course. Living for Christ is a choice that we have the privilege of making every day. The Bible is brimming with life-giving truths and rich promises from God. It tells us what He is like and sheds light on His plans and purposes for our lives. The better we understand, embrace and apply these truths, the richer our personal relationship with Him will be. I'm going to spend some time just defining discipleship. This is called a discipleship course. And so we're going to understand what that means. So the introduction to this lesson says the following. The purpose of this lesson is to gain a holistic understanding of what genuine discipleship is, leading to a life that is completely surrendered and yielded to the lordship of Jesus. That lordship is quite a loaded word. We understand Jesus very often as our savior, as our forgiver, as our redeemer, but the practicalities of lordship are often difficult to substan- not substantiate, but to tangibly put together and, and understand. So that's what we're going to be looking at. Why discipleship? Why is discipleship so important? And the answer to that is going to be in the first scripture that we're going to read tonight that comes from Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 19. And this portion of scripture is echoed again at the end of Matthew, but it's called the great Oh, sorry, at the end of Mark. It's called the Great Commission. It's what, it's what Jesus gave, the commandment he gave to his disciples. And he said this, verse 18, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been, given to, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So the first commandment he gave them was not to make converts, Don't go out and get people to pray a prayer and say, Jesus, please forgive my sin, and now I'm going to heaven. That was never part of the Great Commission. Just doing that, there's there's no scope for that if you look at Jesus' teachings, if you look at life in the early church. It's so far from just praying a prayer to secure your eternal salvation. Jesus said, go and make disciples. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. How do you make disciples? Verse 20 teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And like I say in that note, that we were never commanded to make converts. We were commanded to make disciples. So what is a disciple? Well, many of us say we are Christians. And I want to say this to you. The word Christian is disciple. It means the same thing. And disciple means Christian. Does that make sense to you? Later on in the course, we're going to look at where the word or the term Christian actually came from and what it really means. But in our modern vernacular, we understand what Christian means. Now, if if you go to the Bible and you look at the biblical definition of a Christian, it means a disciple. It doesn't mean just a convert. It means somebody who is a disciple. The word disciple is derived from the root Greek word Maditis, I don't know if I've pronounced that right. Forgive me if I haven't. How's it? What's that? Maditis. That one. <laughs> and it has the following meanings. It means a follower. I know this is going to seem very strange to you, but please say, follower. follower. Say it again. If there's one word 
I want you to leave tonight remembering. It's the word follower. Follower. If you want to sum up a definition of discipleship in a very simple, very relational way, the way in which I believe Jesus intended it to be, to be defined, a disciple is simply a follower. If we get that understanding right, right off the bat, we understand the relational aspect of, 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 of being a disciple, that it's not rules and regulations, but it's relational. And we also begin to understand the heart with which Jesus desires us to be his disciples and to make disciples. So a disciple is a follower, a follower of what? Of another's teachings through willing surrender. Nobody can force you to be a disciple. Nobody can make you be a disciple. A discipleship has to come from a willing heart. And conformance to their beliefs or worldview or values, methodology or lifestyle. In other words, you embrace it and you, you, you line up your life with it. The change needs to happen. There's, when you say that you're going to be a disciple, it, it means there's an understanding that I'm going to follow something which may not be natural to me, something which may be very different from what I'm used to. But I am going to change and align my life with this thing because I'm going to follow in these footsteps. You know, the, we, we understand this very clearly with parents and their children. We say things like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. What does it mean? It means that that child is a good disciple of their parent because they do what their parents do, right? You also heard it say, kids don't do what their parents say, they do what their parents do. Why? Because they're being discipled. Parenthood is a good example of it. Some synonyms for disciple are pupil, student, apprentice, adherent, just to give you a deeper understanding. And so when we understand this idea of, of following <clears throat> you, can, you can ask a question like this. If, somebody, if you were to ask somebody, say, are you a Christian? And if they consider themselves to be a Christian, they'd say, yes, I'm a Christian. Uh, what makes you a Christian? Some would say, you know, I'm, I'm Methodist, or I was raised Catholic, or I was raised this. And there's, there's different vari va variations of definitions of what makes you a Christian. But if you had to ask somebody, are you a follower of Jesus? A lot of people would look at you rather confused. What do you mean, a follower of Jesus? What it really means is, are you a Christian? Are you a disciple? Because a, dis a discipleship or being a follower of Jesus has nothing to do with a denomination or a way of teaching. It's got to do with a personal relationship with Jesus. That's what discipleship is all about. Are you a follower of Jesus? You cannot follow that which you cannot see. You cannot follow and you would not follow somebody that you do not know. And you wouldn't follow somebody that you do not trust. So all of this has a, a very strong relational aspect to it. Follower and disciple are both active things. They're verbs, you could say. You cannot passively follow someone. Likewise, you cannot passively be a disciple. It is an active thing. It, it means that something, there's, there's, I'm, I'm putting effort into this, I'm being cognizant, I'm being quite deliberate about it. You don't become a disciple by accident. Would you agree with me? It's something quite deliberate that I'm actually really focusing attention uh, and, and orientating my life around being a disciple. As you can well gather, the word disciple comes from the same root word as the word discipline. And what does that mean? That means discipline can be defined as follows, training or conditions imposed for the improvement of physical powers, self-control, etc., Another definition, systematic training in obedience to regulations and authority. 
can be defined as the state of improved behavior resulting from such training or conditions. It can be defined as punishment or chastisement. A system of rules for behavior, methods of practice, etc., or a branch of learning or instruction. So what does this mean? It means that a disciple, therefore, is one who submits himself to the teaching, training, testing, and discipline of another. Now, if you were to just put this into human relational terms, this is wide open to be, now what, am I just supposed to be abused? Am I supposed to just believe something everybody says, somebody says, and just do everything that he says? And very often our lack of trust or our mistrust of human relationships taints our understanding of what true discipleship is to the perfect shepherd, Jesus Christ. Discipleship, when, when, when I say the word submit, the word submit is a loaded word. Okay? We don't like that word today. And often people will say, oh, look, I'll submit to you as long as I agree with you. But that undermines the very definition of what submission is. Because submission has to do with doing what you want to do, even though I don't agree. You see, if I agree with you, I don't need to submit to you. We're in agreement here. We're in agreement. There's no need for submission. Submission only comes into the equation when we disagree. This is why it's an important word when it comes to discipleship. I have two little girls, as you know. They're young. And you see what, what little, how they think and how they work and... They're not deliberately selfish things, but little people look out for their own. Sharing does not come naturally. And they always want, not what they've got. They're never satisfied with what they've got. They always want what somebody else has. And you know what? Truth be told, we're a lot like that sometimes. We hate to admit it. We're well conditioned with what is acceptable behavior these days. But in our heart of hearts, we're a lot like that. What discipleship does in terms of this submitting ourselves is we recognize and we say to ourselves, there is a higher authority, there is a better way. Jesus is perfect. He is a good Lord. He is a wonderful Savior. And we therefore submit ourselves to Him to teach, to train, to disciple, to coach in His ways. And we submit to them. Why? Because we believe that His ways are the ways of eternal life. Amen? Isaiah 55 is a famous passage that says, My ways are not your ways, God says. As my thoughts are, <coughs> excuse me, as the heavens are high above the earth, so my thoughts are high above your thoughts. And it's that acknowledgement that God is God and I am not. Jesus is Savior and He is Lord and I am not. Enables me to submit and position myself underneath His Lordship and say, Right, you call the shots. And that's the, the foundation or the very beginning of what discipleship is all about. So what is the purpose of discipleship? The purpose of discipleship, like we've just said, is to be trained and to be conformed into the likeness of another. Luke 6 verse 40 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And the purpose of Christian discipleship is very simple, to make us like Christ. It was a saying somebody said once, and uh, it, it's really stuck with me, and it left a mark on my, in my, and I quote it fairly often. You may have heard me say it before. He said, Jesus didn't come to make a better me. Jesus came, and he, he died on the cross, and he saved me to make me more like him. Because this world doesn't need a better me. This world needs more of him. 
You see, He is the Lord. He is the Savior. He is the Almighty One. And, and a lot of what we do in church today is self-help stuff. Have a better life. You know, all of that kind of stuff. And I'm not against helping yourself and becoming a better person. But if becoming a better person is so that you can be a better person, then we've lost the whole point of Christianity. The whole point of Christianity is not that I can become a better me, but that I can become more like Him. This goes beyond our initial conversion and has to do with allowing Him to lead and transform our lives so that they may resemble His selfless love, humility, and glory. And this includes embracing His value system and His belief system. So what do I mean by that? I mean that it's not just a set of rules, so I read my Bible so that I know what laws to obey and what things I must do and what things I mustn't do. That's not what discipleship is all about. Discipleship is being able to capture somebody's heart and represent that heart accurately. That's the definition of a spiritual son. He's able to capture the Father's heart and demonstrate that heart accurately. This is how Jesus described it. His disciples said to him one day, when will you show us the Father? And his response was, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because I am the accurate representation of my Father. I, I am the epitome of his heart. And if, you get, and if you see me and the way I behave and the things that I do, you will understand the heart of the Father. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 says, Pattern yourselves after me. Now this is Paul writing. He says, Follow my example as I imitate and follow Christ, the Messiah. So he's saying, this is the way I live my life. You follow me. Do the same. Orientate your life to follow Christ, the Messiah. That's Paul's secret. Only once a disciple demonstrates true submission in his own life does he become eligible to disciple others. That's just a point I've added in there. Paul is saying, follow me as I follow Christ in the New King James. You know, words, follow my example. He's not saying, do what I do. He's saying, follow my example. What does that mean? He's not saying, copy my behavior. He's saying, pattern the orientation of your life according to the same pattern I have orientated my life towards Jesus. Any questions thus far? Any comments? You all understanding the heart of discipleship so far? Let's talk then a little bit about the cost of discipleship. And we're going to read a portion of Scripture from Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through to 33. And it says this, Now great multitudes went with him. And he returned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Let's pause for a moment. I mean, yo. That's some heavy stuff. Can you imagine following this guy and he starts saying things like, you want me to hate my mother? Doesn't that go against everything you've been teaching us about love? How, what are you talking about? That's some heavy stuff that Jesus was saying. And he carries on in verse 27, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Pause for a second. Let's explain that first, that first parable. So he's giving an example there of making a commitment to something that you don't have the resources to follow through on. In other words, you, you start it, but you don't really have what it takes. 
He says, don't be that kind of disciple. Don't try this. You don't give this a go. Are you willing to commit fully to this? There's another example that he goes on to give. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes up against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. What is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you cannot do this. In other words, it's impossible if you're not completely sold out to this. He's also saying that he, he, to be a disciple means you have an undivided heart. So I'm sold out to this. If I'm going to build this thing, I'm going to build it to the end. If I'm going to go to battle, I'm either going to win this thing or I'm going to die on the battlefield, but I'm in it. And there's, this has now become my highest priority, following Jesus. What does he mean, hate your mother, father? Let's, let's, let's look at it. I've written the point five, point one. Jesus teaches that the heart of true disciple must be holy and completely devoted. To be a disciple of Jesus means that, the, that following and obeying him becomes our primary responsibility. That goes above my priorities to my family, to my children, to my calling, to my occupation, to my finances, whatever it may be. Jesus is number one. I identify myself. Before I identify myself as a husband or a father or anything else, I am first and foremost a follower of Jesus. And the reason these people are around me, my wife and my children, is because they too are following Jesus and we're doing it together. So this involves considering him in every decision we make. In other words, I'm saying, Jesus, I'm following you. Which way are you going so I can follow you? Which way are you leading me? Rather than saying, Jesus, I want to go this way. Would you please bless me? What do you think of this idea? What do you think of that? Allowing him to determine where and why and how and with whom we live our lives. That's quite important, wouldn't you say? You know, they say people are like elevators. They're either going to take you up or they're going to take you down. Deliberately denying ourselves in order to obey him, and we'll get onto that a little bit later, placing his word and will above that of any other person, surrendering our hopes and dreams to him, making him our only motivator. Look, I realize I'm laying it on pretty thick. But you get the gist, you get the importance of this. If I say I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, he is my all in all. He is my Alpha, and He is my Omega. And He is everything in between. That's why, you know, when you talk about marriage and two people coming together, if they're not going in the same direction, discipleship is going to be virtually impossible. That's why it's so important why the Bible says you should not be un unequally yoked. Why? Because you're going to be going in different directions. It's important that a disciple count the cost of a decision in order that he knows that he's counted a worthy disciple. Now, when you say count the cost, there is a cost to discipleship. We're going to talk about it. We are talking about it. I, and, but generally, our understanding of this cost is there's now a whole list of things that I'm not allowed to do. I can't do this anymore. I can't go to parties anymore. I can't go to you know, drink till I'm... 
I can't do this. I can't go there. I can't have these. I can't say this. I can't do. And we have this idea that the cost of discipleship is in a whole lot of things we cannot do. And that's completely missing the point. <coughs> in the same way that saying discipleship is a whole, if, if I think that discipleship is a whole lot of things that I'm not allowed to do, then at the same token, I'm thinking discipleship is a whole lot of things I have to do. And you've missed the point on both sides. The cost of discipleship is this. I am willing to let go of all things and everything. Yes, even father, mother, sister, brother, wife, for the sake of following him. And when you begin comparing them, you understand that, yes, there is a cost. Yes, when you become a disciple of Jesus, some people will be attracted to you, but a lot of people will just not want to be around you anymore. And there's a cost. And sometimes that cost is painful. But what is the return? I have come that you may have life, and that you may have it to the full, everlasting life, the God kind of life. It's intimacy with God the Father. It's with the Holy Spirit and all the comfort and the grace and the strength that comes with that. So Jesus says again in Luke chapter 9, verse 57 to 62, he says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And, and Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, No one who puts hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. What's the point I'm trying to make here? Emotional enthusiasm is insufficient to sustain the demands of true discipleship. It's not, you're not going to cut it. I love telling the story because uh, it makes me chuckle every time I tell it. There was, when I was, worked in logistics all those years ago, I had a client who, who was a hell of a nice guy. He was a really sweet guy, but he smoked like a chimney and he had a bit of a foul mouth. And, but he was always just down and out. You know, it, life was out to get him. He just was handed a bad deal and he was trying to work his way through this. And I, I, got to, I developed a relationship with him, and over time, one day I walked in there, and he was wearing a, a What Would Jesus Do bangle. And I thought, okay, something's happened in this guy's life. I didn't comment on it. I didn't say anything. I left it. And I went to go visit him a couple times more, maybe two or three months apart. And, I mean, at that stage, I know he'd given up smoking. He was obviously trying to get certain things established in his life. And then I went back one day, and I saw him smoking, and the What Would Jesus Do bangle was gone. And I said to him, what happened to, what's, what's the smoking? I thought you gave up. Nah, listen, yeah, da, 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 da. I said that. And what happened to the, what would Jesus do, Bangle? Nah, I tried that. It didn't work for me, he said. <laughs> and I love that story because I think, I think so much of what we do, so many people do that. They try this thing to see if it works for them. But even those of us who call ourselves Christians and followers of Jesus, sometimes we take the word of God and we, we try it. And we see, oh, it didn't work for me or it does work for me. And that's really not the heart of discipleship at all. And so, of course, the guy was trying something to help him get over some stuff in his life, and it just didn't work for him the way he thought it would. The whole essence of what Jesus is trying to teach us through these scriptures, which are sometimes feel quite heavy and quite hard to understand, is that discipleship is not something you try. Being a disciple is something that you are. 
It's a choice that you've made to follow Jesus. There's an old song. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Praise the Lord, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. Praise the Lord, no turning back. I'm leaving out some repetition there, but you get the gist of it. It's a decision that has been made. And if you want to encapsulate the essence of what true discipleship is in one scripture, I think none, none does it better than Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he, Jesus says this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself. So what is the first step of being a disciple? Now, what is it means denying self? What does that mean? Just denying my pleasures, denying me what I want? At, maybe in some points it includes that. We really are getting revved up here. All right. But ultimately what it means is this. If you really get to the heart of it, it's saying this. I acknowledge that in my own ability, I don't have what it takes. I deny my own strength. I deny the fact that I have the strength. And I look to you, and I trust you, and I'm going to follow you. I believe you are the way, the truth, and the life. He says this, you deny yourself, you take up your cross. What does that mean? That means, Jesus, I'm denying myself, and I'm going to follow you, come what may. Come what may. Sometimes being a disciple means you're going to have to make some tough decisions that will involve personal suffering in order that somebody else may experience love and comfort and grace. Isn't that what Jesus did? And then he says those two words again. And follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Follow my example. What does this look like, folks? I think, I think this looks a little different to different people. I heard an example recently, you know, feeding the poor may look different to me in my setting and my circumstances than it does in yours. Loving, or ha loving your enemy may look different to me than it would look to you or to somebody on the front lines of a war or to somebody who's fighting a personal legal battle. It may look different in different scenarios. So the outworking of these values of Christendom and discipleship may look different to different people. But the point is that in all of them, there's a call for us to relationally follow Jesus. And it's, it's interesting that when Jesus says this, he doesn't say, take up your cross, deny yourself, and obey these laws. He doesn't give us a list of chores to do. All he says is, follow me. Very interesting. Discipleship is all about intimate relationship with Jesus. The mindset of a disciple is not simply blind obedience, but to take on the heart of his Lord. Of his Lord. He becomes a reflection of the ones he ser one he serves. In order for us to capture the heart of the one we serve, we need to remain vitally connected to him. You can't, like I said earlier on, you cannot follow somebody that you do not see. You just think of it very naturally. You're driving from here to there. How do we get there? Just follow me. Now, if that person drives faster than I can, he makes it through the green light. I get caught by the red line. I haven't seen where he's gone. I am now lost. And Jesus said he came to seek and save the lost, those who didn't know where to go. 
But the wonderful thing is Jesus comes and he says, follow me. And he never outruns us. He never goes too fast for us. His invitation is always there. As long as we're willing to follow, he is willing to lead. But this happens through intimacy. And this is why I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of John. We're going to read from chapter 15. <coughs> and it says this. John chapter 15 from verse 1. I am the vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. So, what is the secret to discipleship? Abiding. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Pause for a moment. Fruit is the natural product of a tree or a vine or whatever. So let's just use the vine example. Grapes are the natural byproduct of a vine. It doesn't strain. You don't have to do something strange to the vine to make it produce grapes. Grapes is what vines do. Amen? Now, Jesus is saying here, you cannot bear fruit unless you abide in me. This life of Christianity, or this Christian life, or my life, the fruit of that, the evidence of that, the outworking of that, cannot come without abiding. If you imagine a vine, he says, my father is the vine dresser, I am the vine, you are the branches. The branch has to remain vitally connected to the vine. What do I mean by vitally? The word vital means life. What flows through the vine and into the branches to give it life? Sap. That's right. If you have the sap flowing, there is life. Nutrients is coming up from the roots. Water and, and moisture are coming up from the roots. Carbon dioxide is, 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 is um, photos, not photos, photosynthesizing. All that kind of stuff is, is doing what it needs to do in the leaves and flowing back down to the roots. And there's this vital connection of life going both ways, going backwards and forwards. And when that is healthy and it is right and it is in place, the natural byproduct is fruit. Likewise, in the life of a believer, when our relationship is right, there's life flowing from me to Jesus, I'm, I'm, there's commitment there, there's, there's my heart being shared with him and his heart being shared with me. When that is in place and is truly there, there will be fruit. Amen? It's the natural byproduct of a life that is vitally connected to the vine. Verse 4, he says, Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Now that may seem like a bit of an arrogant statement. <laughs> without me, you can do nothing. Well, we can do a lot of things without Jesus, right? But nothing that produces life. Nothing that has the flow of life in it. Nothing that has eternal rewards. And if you think that this is unique to you and I, I'll show you a little bit later how Jesus applied the same rule to his own life. Verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. 
But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire, and it shall be done for you. What is that? That's fruit. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So the essence or the evidence of discipleship is fruit. Fruit is the evidence of discipleship. The evidence that Jesus is truly living in your heart or that, that, that you have a, a relationship with him that is alive, that is vital, that is connected, is that your life is going to be producing fruit. That's the evidence, the biblical evidence. Let me read it to you from a different way. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Turn there in your Bibles. Matthew 7, we'll read from verse 15 to 20. Jesus says it a slightly different way here. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. In other words, people who say something. You will know them by their fruit. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit or good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. By their fruit, you will know them. If you want to look at another example of how this is articulated, Jesus said this, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. What are we learning about? Discipleship. And what was the evidence? That you said you were Christian? That you went to church? No, the evidence was that you? No. That you love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. Now, how will people looking on know that you have love one for another? The way they know it is that love looks like something, right? Love is a verb. It has actions to it. It has fruit. What is the essence of the sap that ran between the father and the son? Love. What is the essence of the sap that runs from the son to you and I? Love. And what is the essence of the sap that produces fruit in our lives? Love. Isn't that the fulfillment of the law? Isn't that the embodiment of the heart of the Father and of the Son? Isn't that the one commandment that Jesus left us with? You see, the old, Jesus said, after he resurrected, he said, a new commandment I give you. A new one. That you love one another. But that's not a new one. We've heard that before. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. He said, no, 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 no. I'm giving you a new one now. Love one another as I have loved you. What is he calling them to? To follow. He's calling them into discipleship. He's calling them to follow his example. You love one another like I have loved you. Never mind how you treat your neighbor like you would treat yourself. Maybe you're not even really good to yourself, and so that kind of falls flat a bit. <laughs> Love one another like I have loved you. I lay down my life for you. 
I gave it all for you. Love me like that and love your neighbor like that. The attitude of a true disciple is not one of begrudging conformance to externally imposed standards of behavior. Rather, it is a one of willful surrender where one takes on the heart and attitudes and motivations of another until they think, feel, and behave the same way. It's not begrudging. If it's begrudging, if it's a burden, you've missed it. I'm not going to say if it's a burden, give up. Sometimes things are burdensome and we need to persevere through them. But the whole purpose of persevering through them is that we can find the right heart and the right attitude in the midst of it. So let me give you an example. With any kind of, of ministry in the church, I've learned sometimes things have seasons. Sometimes people have seasons. It's not sometimes. We all have seasons. Sometimes we're really excited about what we're doing at church. Other times not. Maybe you're an usher and you started being an usher and you just couldn't stop smiling and you greeted everybody at the door with such joy and man, people came not for the sermon, they came just to see your smile because it was just so great to be welcomed that way. But maybe after a while somebody said something and oh, you took a hit or that happened or this happened or maybe you're just going through a rough patch and quite frankly, I just don't feel like ushering anymore. Ushering's just become a burden to me now. What are my options? Well, you have three options, but actually only two. The first option, which is not a real option, is to keep doing what you're doing. Your heart's not in it. You're not enjoying it. You're not doing it well anymore. You're not doing anybody any favors, but you can just keep on keeping on. It's not really an option. It's not solving the issue. The second option, viable option, you can stop. Michael, I don't want to usher anymore. Viable option. Sometimes it's the right choice. The third option is this. My attitude has changed towards ushering. But I recognize that my attitude right now is not what it should be, and it's wrong. So I'm going to change my attitude. Come Sunday morning, I'm going to have the biggest smile they've ever seen. They're going to be writing books about this smile. This smile is going to get people saved. Jesus, anoint these teeth. And suddenly I put my faith into a different, a different line. I get my heart right where it should be. So what am I saying to you? Sometimes serving Jesus, we, we go through seasons where we're overwhelmed by the circumstances that we're in. And so what does that mean? I must just stop being a Christian now and give it all in? Well, no. I must just keep on drudgery. And no, it needs to be a joy. Jeremiah, write this down. Jeremiah 15, verse 16. It says this. I was reminded of this today. How many of us can honestly say this from our hearts? Jeremiah 15, verse 16. Your words were found and I ate them. So what, is, what does this represent? Your, who is the word? The word is Jesus Christ. It's, it's the instruction of God. It's the heart of God. Your word was found and I, words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the rejoicing or the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Jeremiah, even in the old covenant days, received the word or the law, and it was never, the words of God speaking to him were never a begrudging thing. It was never a burdensome thing, but it was the joy and it was the delight of my heart. That's the essence of true discipleship, where the word of God, the person of Jesus, is delightful to us because of who he is. Sometimes we lose sight of that. Listen, folks, I'm speaking to real people here. I'm a married man. Sometimes I lose sight of the beauty of my wife or the wonder of my relationship with her. I get caught up in stuff and works. And all we talk about sometimes is just what time the kids need to be picked up and who's doing this and who's doing that. And sometimes you just live past each other for a while. And then I, I realize now I'm being crabby and I'm snapping at her and she's crabby and she's snapping at me. 
You know, we need to stop for a little while and just get alone and talk and connect again. And you know what? Sometimes our relationship with God is the same. We just lose sight of the heart of it all. We lose sight of the essence of it all. We just need to get away sometimes, just be with Him and say, God, let's just talk. I'm misunderstanding you. You're clearly not misunderstanding me. This is always going to be a one-sided who's wrong here. It's not about, that, okay, are you going to take the blame this time, God? No, it doesn't work that way. It's always going to be me. But His grace and His love is always just so gentle, so gracious. As I come and I connect with Him again, Your Word, Lord God, is my joy. My joy is found in following you because you are good. My joy is found in living the life you have prepared for me. Without this level of intimacy, a disciple will never be able to accurately represent his Lord. A disciple's life is so surrendered that without his Lord, he is powerless to produce anything of value, as we mentioned earlier on. He no longer trusts his own abilities. The mark of true discipleship, therefore, or the mark of a true disciple of Jesus Christ is that he carries and propagates his heart. He becomes a conduit of love and the nature of Jesus Christ, as we spoke about. John 13, 35, By this will all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. We've already discussed that. Let's push on through and uh, do, num- do point number seven, and we'll conclude. We'll have a time of discussion and just, just share and talk about this for a little bit. One of the most amazing things about Jesus and about our God is He never asks us to do something that He hasn't already done. So when it comes to living a life, God calls us to live a certain life. Realizing that we can't live it, He did it on our behalf. And He just gives us the goodness of it. Isn't that incredible? Jesus is our example of what discipleship truly looks like. So when he calls us to be disciples, he's not calling us to do something that he never did himself. When he calls us to submit, he's not asking us to do above and beyond the call of duty what he himself didn't do. So Christ too was a disciple of his Father and is our model of genuine discipleship. John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. That's what, what, that's what Jesus said. Again, in Matthew, John 5, verse 19, Jesus gave them this the answer. Verily, or very truly I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of himself. Let's pause. Where, what does this take us back to? This takes us back to John 15 in the vine. He says, you can do nothing of yourself. And he's not saying just, just about you. Now he says of himself, me, I can do nothing of myself. Even the Son of God acknowledged the fact that nothing of eternal value could come out of his earthly wisdom or his physical striving. It all came out of the Father. He can only do what he sees the Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. That's the essence of sonship. That's the essence of discipleship. That's the essence of following, isn't it? By myself, I can do nothing. Really? Son of God? No, it's interesting to note that Jesus didn't perform a single miracle until he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Not a single one. Because of himself, he could do nothing. 
I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. There's some times in my relationship with my wife where I do what I know she wants me to do or I know what she has done. So, for example, maybe on a Monday I'm at home, she's in the office, there's dishes in the sink, there's laundry in the, in the, in the I want to say dishwasher, then I've really gotten it wrong. There's laundry in the washing machine and needs to be hung up. I know that there's a difference between me doing those things simply because I know she's going to be unhappy with me when she gets home if they're not done. Or me saying, I want to bless my wife and do them for her so that she doesn't have to. Am I the only one who has that conflict internally sometimes? <laughs> and sometimes I just do them because, let me just do them. And other times I actually just do it because I really want to bless my wife. Because I'm grateful to her because she does it every other day of the week. You understand, what I, you understand the difference? And Jesus is saying here the same thing. In our relationship with him, I seek not to please myself. See, if I want to just please myself in that home context, what am I going to do? I'm just going to put on the TV. I'm going to veg in front of the couch and watch sport or watch a movie. Do, anything, do something that I want to do. But if I want to please her, I'm going to live my life a little differently. I'm going to be a lot more considerate. You understand? Now, in our Christian walk, we can either live a life that pleases ourselves. In other words, I have my goals, my visions, my dreams, my ambitions, and I'll give myself to accomplishing those things. And you know what? You'll accomplish probably most of what you set your mind to doing. That's how God created us. Whether it has eternal value, I'm not, I'm not even going down that street. But the point I'm making is we can either live our lives with the perspective of I'm trying to accomplish certain things for me. God, how can you help me do this? Or I can live my life from the point of view saying, God, I live to please you. How can I orientate my life, my resources, my relationships to accomplish what you want for my life and through my life, for your kingdom purposes, for what you want to do? That's the life of the heart of a disciple. And he gets pleasure in it. You know, you do something nice for somebody else, it feels good. That's why the Bible says it's better to give than to receive. Hey, it doesn't say it's bad to receive. I like receiving, amen? The Bible says it's better to give. Why? Well, because then you're sowing, yeah, and you can get a harvest, great, okay. But because doing nice things for other people makes you feel good, right? Come home, dishes are done, laundry's hung up. Man, I strut around the house like a peacock. Because I know when she comes home, she's going to be, oh, thank you, baby. You know how I appreciate that? Why, yes, I do. <laughs> you understand the principle? There's pleasure in doing it. There's pleasure. And likewise, we should gain great pleasure in living our lives and even making sacrifices because we love Jesus. That's the essence of discipleship. Christ has not asked us to, uh, any more, uh, Christ has not asked any more of us than he expected from himself. And here's a beautiful example of that. Philippians 2, verse 5 to 8, it says this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself, let's pause, nobody forced Jesus to come to earth to die for you and me. God did not make him of no reputation. He made himself of no reputation. Taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men 
and being found in the appearance of men, so not only did he submit and humble himself to the Father, he submitted and humbled himself to his own creation, mankind, and became obedient to the point of death. Not just any old death, but the death of the cross. What are we saying? Jesus could not have come from a higher height. And Jesus was willing to go to a place where there could be no lower low. He went from extreme to extreme to be glorified to the extreme. And he says, are you willing to go to the lowest low like I am? Let this mind be in you, Paul writes, the same as it was in Christ, who was willing to give up all things, to go down to the lowest, the lowest, lowest point, to serve. Isn't that incredible? The life of Christ is a clear demonstration of what God can do in and through the life of one who is completely yielded to him. He remains our source of inspiration to become true disciples. So let's conclude. A disciple of Jesus Christ, therefore, is one whose life is completely and willingly surrendered to his lordship through inward transformation. Who takes care of the transformation? Jesus does. We have a work that, of sanctification that, that we cooperate with that process, but Jesus has met every need. We just cooperate and follow him. The love, life, and power of God are only effective in the lives of those who have yielded themselves to him. I want to say that again. The love of God, the life of God, the power of God are only going to be effective in the lives of those who have yielded themselves to Him. It doesn't matter what you call yourself. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church. It doesn't matter how long you spend in prayer. If your heart and your motives and your life is not yielded to His Lordship to say, Lord, you lead, I'm going to follow, you will never see the power of God, the experience the love of God to the level that He has created you for. Only those who have become genuine disciples or scholars of God's ways are able to realize the fullness of all he has made available for us as believers today. So here comes personal application. Determine, well, you know what, before we read personal application, Siobhan, can I ask you to run? You can walk quickly if you like. Very good question. Upstairs, please. Because there's a video that I want to do I actually, I only found this video today, but it so beautifully articulated the heart of discipleship, I, I thought, I must show this to you. It's a short little clip, I think it's one and a half minutes, but I want you to watch this, and then we will conclude our lesson tonight on discipleship. Follow me. It's a simple request sometimes spoken from a mother to a child, a brother to a sister, a friend to a friend. It's a request that requires trust, belief, action. It requires you to put your faith in a person who will lead you to safety, to peace. A long time ago, Jesus Christ spoke these simple words to his closest friends, and his invitation still stands today. Come, follow me. Follow me, and I will show you how to love others and love yourself. Follow me, and I will show you how to repent and be forgiven and forgive others. Follow me to turn things around start over, to navigate the storms of life, 
and the storms of death. Follow me to find purpose. Your purpose. God's purpose. He taught us the way. He showed us the way. And when we follow His way, we find new life. I said to you when we started this whole thing, every lesson in this course is going to do two things. It's going to cause some introspection in your heart, but every lesson is going to be an invitation. Discipleship is an invitation. Jesus is saying, I want you to follow me. I want to show you something you do not know. I want to lead you in ways that are not natural to you, but I'm going to fill you with my spirit. I'm going to give you my word, and I just want you to trust me and follow me personal application. Determine in your heart today that you want to experience the fullness of God's love, His promises, and all that He has planned for your life. Are there areas of your life that you know are not completely surrendered to the Lordship of Christ? Why not make the decision today to allow Jesus to be the Lord over every facet of your life, even the deepest places of your heart? Be a disciple worthy of the Lord. Make Jesus the Lord of your life and see what he is able to do in and through your life for his glory. Those two words that I want to leave you with tonight, I pray that as you go, they will ring in your heart and as you go throughout this week. The essence of discipleship is follow me. Follow me. And the whole purpose of this course is to help you give practical ways to discover how do I do that? How do I connect with the life of God, that vital connection? How do I allow Him to work in my heart and in my life? How do I orientate my life to follow Him, to put Him first and allow Him to lead my every decision, allow Him to shape my every motive so that my life begins to look like Him and I begin to bear the fruit of love That, that is the essence of who He is. Amen? We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.